You're listening to. Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. Um, as always, my name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Riri Yu. And we're here to discuss our 2017 Books and Boba book club pick, Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, I mean, our last book club pick of 2017, because technically all the other books that we read this year is has been a 2017 book club that's pick. That's true. Did I say, did I not say December? No, you just said um, 2017 book club pick. You know, we just finished recording our last episode, which also comes out today. Yeah. And um, I it's may been have, a long day. You know, start dropping off. But um, yeah, we decided to um, separate our books, uh, book news and our book club discussion um, because we haven't really recorded an episode this month and there's a lot to go through and we just wanted to make it easier for you, the listener, to get to what you want. So, so if, if you, you haven't listened to the episode before this do so or not or not um but more importantly if you are listening to this episode that means you have finished reading never let me go by kazuo ishiguro or you don't care that you haven't finished reading never let me go by kazuo ishiguro um so if that's the case welcome we're about to get into the book Um, uh spoilers warning because we're gonna spoil the hell out of this book yeah i came into this book cold and i had it was very surprising where the the places it went yeah, I totally like if you haven't read this book yet, like shut this podcast off, <laughs> go read it, come back because um I feel like the best way to read this book is to go as cold as possible. So, um Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to get into it. Yeah, um, so that's your warning. Let's start with the I guess the description. As children, Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy were students at Hailsham, an exclusive boarding school secluded in the English countryside. It was a place of mercurial cliques and mysterious rules and teachers were constantly reminding their charges of how special they were. Now, years later, Kathy is a young woman. Ruth and Tommy have re-entered her life, and for the first time, she is beginning to look back at their shared past and understand just what it is that makes them so special, and how that gift will shape the rest of their time together. Yeah, so Kazuo Shiguro, this is his second book? Or um, third book? It's, it's, it's definitely, like, not his... Uh, earlier works yeah I, I w- i'm tempted to say like his his like fourth or fifth, b- okay. fifth novel but i don't know how many books that he's released but this is definitely towards the middle of his career yeah he's best known for this book and also remains of the day yeah which, which is was another... his debut i think it was his debut novel yeah which is another heavy heavy yeah that book. that was also made into a movie and anthony hopkins is mm. like a star in it so to like never let me go was also made into a movie so he has like a good yeah, uh, reputation for Andrew Garfield and adaptations um, and Kira Knightley I still haven't watched the movie yet it's on Netflix mm. um, maybe I'll maybe maybe I'll, <laughs> I don't know if I can like ah oh, this ah oh, this book so so I mean right off the bat I guess uh, the main thing that our Goodreads um, members were talking about was how to classify this book. Right. Okay. Right. Well, like we're gonna first first spoiler. I I want to ask Marvin because like I had I had already read this book uh like a couple months ago, 
And I told Marvin to go into it as cold as possible. So that the big twist in like in like the first uh, half of the novel uh-huh. was like kept secret. So my question to you is, how did you feel about the big twist? When did so, you realize that something was going on? Well, right away. So the book description you just, you just read was all I had going on going to the book. So I thought, okay, great. It's a story about the stuffy like British <laughs> boarding school and the shenanigans that these like, you know, rich kids get up to. Um, but right away, something was a little off. And because um, Kazuo, what he does is he starts dropping in terms. Yeah, like the like, first Very page. casually that at first I assume we're just all oh, British, Britishy British stuff. Um, like the words carer, yeah, donors, donor. completion. That's all, all introduced in the first page yeah. of the novel. So right away, I thought, okay, maybe like I'll, right away you, you knew that she was some sort of like maybe a social worker or some sort of like caretaker at a clinic or something. Um, people were coming. I, I, I already had the vision of like either like dialysis or mm-hmm. like organ like transplants or something. Yeah. So, like, that stuff was already out in the open. Um, and then you start reading and you start kind of piecing the, the things together. You know, you start realizing you, you know, certain things just aren't normal about yeah. Hilsham, right? Like the fact that none of, the, none of the students have last names, that they never seem to go home. They don't seem to have parents or... And like they're stuck in this like Hogwarts school that ha- with like <laughs> around a giant like surrounded by forests. And then there's like like medical exams that the students have like every week. Yeah. And then there's the fact that um, like the adults seem to be wary or some downright scared of them. Yeah, like like, gar- like their teachers aren't allowed to be intimate with their students or not yeah. like. Like, human intimacy is not encouraged. Yeah. And, like, also, like, one of the main characters, Tommy, like, he's being bullied for being, like, bad at art, <laughs> but, like, really good at football. And it's just like, wait a minute. Like, that would be the total opposite at, like, a normal school, right? Yeah. Like, the jocks always get, like, really popular. And, like, the art students are kind of like, meh. Well, I mean, that was that was kind of a... I, I kind of saw that as like a culture thing right like in this school art trumps oh so like athletics. you thought that it was like an art boarding school well I, I just figured i just figured like that's um, more of a metaphor on like like kids don't know what's cool or not so if you tell them that art is cool and that the best art gets chosen and people with good art get rewarded more like obviously they're gonna think art is awesome it's yeah. how they get props right it's like how most kids in america think sports is awesome because that's how they get their parents to pay attention to them right yeah so uh the big twist uh, i i get i think we've been tiptoeing around it the big twist is that the students of this school are all clones being raised to eventually become organ donors this gets revealed when one of their teachers uh she pretty much says like oh like I think it was Miss Lucy. Yeah, Miss Lucy. Yeah, she has like a breakdown. Yeah, she yeah. has a breakdown and she pretty I, I have the quote right here. She says, If you're if you're to live decent lives, you have to know who you are and what lies ahead of you, every one of you. So in her mind, she thinks that it's better for them to know what's ahead, to know that they're gonna die. Yeah. And it's 
And it's important for them to know that now so they can like live a good life. The thing that's interesting there is I think, I mean, the fact that that's what donations meant wasn't a secret. It felt like the kids all knew. Yeah, they didn't uh, want to talk about it, but they all they all knew that was what they were created for. I mean, Tommy mentions to Kathy that they've always been told, but not really told. Yeah, like they'll have like sex ed, and then they'll like mention like, "Oh, your health means a lot," and like right. when you have sex with someone who is not like you, you uh, like there's like like causes for diseases and stuff like that. And well, it's also like the fact that. Um, because they can't get pregnant. Yeah, they can't get pregnant. Um, but they would like sneak in little hints here and there because, like, for the Hailsham, uh, like, I guess founders, like, it's important for them to shelter the kids. Yeah. To a certain point, because like it gives them like, like. So yeah, I want to talk. Childhood. I guess we can just talk about that. Is um, you realize throughout the book that Hailsham is unique. Or one of very few places that like actually treated kids as kids, and it was like a part of a a like humanitarian movement uh, because that's something that um, they foreshadow really early to in that first chapter where um, Kathy was taking care of a guy who was from Dover who didn't come go through Hailsham or any of the other boarding schools. Yeah, and all they want to know was what, what life was like in Hailsham. Cause, and that took on a really dark tone later on when I was thinking about it because you realize that like you see the world through the lives of like Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy and in Hilsham. Like, they have they had like more or less normal childhoods with like childhood like kid stuff, teen stuff, like melodrama, things like that. Um, but that wasn't the case for a lot of these donors. Like they grew up in what essentially, in my mind, is like factory farms. Yeah, like factory farms. Right, and they didn't have a childhood. They weren't allowed to create or live or even like, like, be children. Yeah, right. Like they were. Like my guess was that they were kind of treated in not inhuman ways because they have to be like fed well and like clothed yeah. well and hygiene and all that but it's just like they they're treated as like like as they were treated property. like yeah property yeah. and that like their life didn't matter and it and it really like is a dark way of saying what happens when you give like a subgroup um like a subgroup in a marginalized like umbrella yeah like privilege and power and it's like that's really scary cuz <laughs> Because, like, we, we see that now, right? And we've seen it, like, during slavery as well. There were slaves who, like, worked in the field. And then there were, like, house slaves who, uh, you know, got better uh, better housing, better clothes, and, like, better working conditions. But at the same time, they were all slaves. So that kind of reminded me of that. And yeah. it really does take, like, a dark turn, which is really funny to me because Kazuo Ishiguro describes Never Let Me Go as his most uplifting novel. And like that that is just like so weird to me. That just says a lot about his work in general. <laughs> I mean I mean I, 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 I agree. I though. can see what he means though, because the book is never depressing. The implications are yeah. depressing as fuck. But the book itself, the stories, like the personal stories that it tells is not one of like it's one of people living the best they can. 
and finding reasons to live. Yeah, and, it is. It is yeah. very optimistic in a sense. Um, but I do want to ask you, like this, this entire book is told from Kathy's perspective, and it's like a first person narrative. It's stream stream consciousness too, which like I wonder how you, uh, as a often detractor yeah. of this type of prose okay let me <laughs> let me just say like i i watched the movie first because i didn't know that it was based off of a book okay i mean like i watched the opening credits and i was like oh kazu ishiguro like who is this person that person is definitely japanese uh it's based on his book so i guess i'll like check it out later but then i watched the movie and then all the twists were uh were revealed and i was oh. like oh my god like what is happening I mean, they revealed pretty a lot earlier in the movie right a lot earlier in the movie yeah. because you only have like two hours but mm. like it was also like a complete surprise to me because i went into the movie pretty cold i didn't watch the trailer or anything it's pure nightly andrew garfield yeah like, yeah kids and boarding it's like yeah british boarding school shenanigans yeah so right? i was so like i watched it and i was like shocked by the twist and i was like okay i'm gonna go read the book immediately because um i want to see like how well they adapted it and after reading the book like i like i prefer the book way more than the movie yeah and the stream of consciousness like it i usually don't like that but because i had watched the movie first like i was able to like i really appreciated the first person narrative because you really get into the character's head whereas yeah. like in the movie it's kind of like you don't really know <laughs> you have to kind of like take hints from the actor's performance and i think it's the way that he writes her just her thoughts is very intuitive, I guess, in a way. It's it's definitely a, like it's a person telling a story and they go off on tangents. It's very like it took maybe a chapter or two to get into the rhythm. Well, once I got in the rhythm, I couldn't put it down because of the fact that it's it's a story that keeps building and building and building. Yeah. And even though it's it takes place in this world where, yes, they're all destined to be harvested for their organs, you want to know what happened in Norfolk. You want to know what happened. What about that tape? You want to know why Tommy did this that one time or what he told yeah. her. Like, I, I really did appreciate like the first person narrative because like it went on tangents and like like in the beginning, you're like, why is she going off on all these tangents and yeah. memories that don't really matter? But the thing is, this entire book is about memories. It's about like Kathy looking back and like pretty much like wondering about her life and like if, if she lived a good life and yeah. if she if she lived in an alternative alternate life, like what it would have been like. And um, the first person narrative really like gives the reader a, a glimpse of her regrets and her flaws because Kathy is very flawed. She is like yeah. a very passive character that is like infuriating. <laughs> it's like, it's like, why aren't you saying anything? And why aren't you standing up to Ruth? Why are you like just being walked all over? And she definitely goes into that. Like if I was, if I was me now, I would have done this or I would have yeah. done that. or I would have seen this differently. I should have, I would have known this was going on. Yeah. Right. And it's, it is definitely, it's, and like that's the kind of thing that usually I like scoff at, but the way that he wrote, the way that these relationships evolve, was so, I guess, real. Yeah, like, it was like so believe. organic. Yeah. yeah, and like I was also surprised because the like for just I, I guess it's a dystopian novel. It's like very hard to put it into yeah. one genre, which I is mean, some of our book club members have mentioned that. But the thing is, like, this takes place in a parallel universe. It takes place during the 70s and 80s, where cloning has been pretty much perfected. Yeah. And it's 
And it's just like, like, it, it's so weird because, like, it's kind of like alternate history, right? And that kind of comes up a lot in the book because, like, Norfolk is like the lost corner and and like Ruth's obsession with finding her uh finding her original. Yeah. So it's like the the idea of having like an alternate life and and just thinking about like what you would do if if you went back in time now, like that's very much like interwoven with the story. And I don't know, like it it <laughs> it's done so well. Like I like I really applaud Kazuo Ishiguro for like getting all of these uh, just tangent thoughts and being able to like create a story just on a string of memories. Yeah, it's it was especially during that the, the, the middle chapter, like when they were in the the cabins, like after they left the boarding school, but before they went on to like become carers and donors. Um, there's this middle period where they just kind of live their lives as young adults right they're kind of in holding a holding pattern yeah um like kind of if you think about it they're being and it's, it's kind of ironic that they were being kept at a farmhouse because they were just re- pretty much being raised yeah. until they were ready to like move on to th- their next phase and their their useless usage um but during this time like all these like young adult adolescent like college age like stuff starts happening and like we all have that friend who like left for college and came back and like changed because they, they just like wanted to be cool like the people they met there and that was Ruth's character and you're just like oh I know that person you know yeah like Ruth was I did not like Ruth but but the thing is like she's such a essential character in this book I didn't I didn't hate like I, I thought that she was definitely like was a jerk uh, for the most part, but I felt like it came from a place of like, like I can see where that comes from, you know, like you're, you're trying to like, you know, that you have only have like what, 20, 30 years to yeah. live and you want to be as normal as possible and you want to live it as best as, as best as you can. And she even admits, and this is some Kathy and Tommy and her, they all admit that they don't know what it means to live. So she's taking cues from like she's like the difference between her character and Kathy's character is Kathy's taking all these like internal cues, kind of internalizing everything. Yeah. Whereas Ruth is kind of taking our cues from the outside world. Right. I would see it as like that transition. Like I, I mean, you said like college, but yeah. I think it's more accurate to like from being a middle schooler to a high schooler. <laughs> Cause it's just like in middle school, you're just like friends with like all of your friends. But then when you go into high school and you have like all these new people who, have like different behaviors and different personalities from you. Yeah. Like there's always like that one friend who like is just like, oh, I want to be popular. <laughs> and they like change their clothes. They like try to like copy whatever is the trend. And that's how I felt about Ruth. Like she's copying the other like older members at the cottages. Yeah. She's who, all like, cop- who all copy their stuff from TV. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just like the, like it seems so shallow, like at surf, like when you like glance at it. But at the same time, it's just like they're trying to emulate what normal people are like, or mm-hmm. like what they think like real humans are like. Yeah, because again, if you think about it, outside of the Helsham folks, like the the older kids, they probably grew up not knowing even how to be kids. Yeah, right. Which is why they're always asking questions about Helsham. Like it's yeah. just like, oh, what did like. Oh, like what were the teachers like? I heard it was like beautiful, and and like 
they're trying to like live vicariously yeah. through uh, the Hailsham students. Um, but I did want to ask. Uh, when Kathy and Tommy request for a deferral on on like future donations, like right. how did you feel about that? Like because they get denied, and so that scene, I, I had a feeling that I had a feeling that was going to happen because again, like this whole the whole deferral thing, the whole like the whole idea of Helsham being special in that way was it just seemed too good to be true. Yeah, like, like I, I I I just want to ask like. You know how like Madame and like Miss yeah. Emily, they they were just saying like I have a, I have I have a couple quotes here, but I'm going to just say one. Uh, I think it was the Madame who said this, and she said, "Look at you both now. You have you've had good lives. You're educated and cultured." And she pretty much goes on to say like 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 their their reasons for like sheltering them, lying to them, and like doing all the stuff for them is like a valid excuse. I mean, so this was a a tough chapter to process because you know you're, you're revealed you're finally revealed the reason for Hilsham, and you find out that Hilsham is special because it was born out of a movement to prove that these kids these clones should be treated with more humanity. Right. That they have souls, and that yeah. was a whole reason for the gallery. That they're they... pretty much like the organic chicken farms of the clone yeah. business, right? Like we'll, we'll we'll let these kids run free and have happy lives, and that way, um, I mean, I don't I don't even think it's for happier organs, right? It's just yeah. like you can't look at these people and say that they're not human. I would say that right? it's like. Like for Madame and Miss Emily and all the people who believe that clones should be treated as human, like humanly possible, I think for that, like for them, it was just like a way to relieve their guilt because oh, definitely, because yeah. it's just like it's like it's weird because for the clones, it's like the Dark Ages, right? Like everybody is, it's a dystopian society where everybody is killed for their organs, but but for like regular humans, it's like a utopian society where yeah. people don't have to die from cancer. Like they can just get organ uh, donations anytime that they want. And like it, it's just like, I mean, if, if, if this story is written with like a more, let's say American bravado, yeah, it'd be more like, it'd be the first part of a trilogy where these Kathy, Tommy and Ruth rise up in, in <laughs> rebellion against their like, it'd be like, um, the Island. Have you seen the Island? No, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, where they rebel against their fates. But it, it's interesting that all three of them, everyone, even, even the people who weren't in Hellsham kind of just passively accept, accept that this is what, this is what they were made for. This, this is their purpose in life. Yeah. Like I've yeah. read a lot of criticism, criticisms about this book. Um, where like the characters don't rebel, like when they yeah. find out that they're going to be like donors, they don't think to escape. They don't think to like challenge. I mean, their they fate. kind of do. They try to, but they get do it. In, but they do yeah. it in like small ways, like deferral. Like that doesn't yeah. really set them free from their fate. And like I think the Madame, like I think it was the Madame who said, like, "Oh, you guys." You, like Hailsham was like part of a trend like you guys were born at the right moment yeah. and Kathy she kind of like she she kind of says like well for you guys it was a trend but for us this is our lives 
And that's how I feel about like diversity in, in publishing. Cause like, they're like, Oh, it's a trend, like diverse characters. It's a trend. But the thing is like, it's not a trend. It's our, it's our lives. Yeah. And like, th- like when Kathy said that, that that's immediately what I thought of. And it's, it's striking. It's scary. It's- I mean, you think about like in Queen Nguyen's um, play, Via Gone, he has a very moving line too, which is like, you know, to America, Vietnam was a war, but for the Vietnamese, it was life. It, yeah, it, was, was, life. it was our lives. So there was a quote that I really liked, and I really want to discuss this. And uh, the quote goes, the quote is from Kathy, and she says, why did we all? Why did we do all that work in the first place? Why train us, encourage us, make us produce all of that? If we're just going to give donations anyway, then die. Why all those lessons? Why all those books and discussions? Mm. And like, I kind of think of it as like, like humans. They also die at some point. Like we all die, yeah. and it's just like. If you think about it, that question is, uh, you can ask that question for just normal humans. Just like, why do we do the things that we do if we're all going to die anyway? Isn't (laughs) it all pointless? Yeah. And definitely that's the, the final like chapter or the final few lines about, of the book is all about like, yeah, everyone, everyone dies. It's a part of life. What's important is how you live, the connections you make, and the people you keep close to you. Um, yeah, like Kazuo Ishiguro said that this was his most uplifting novel. And I think the reason for that is basically the friendship uh, between Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy. Because even though they're they're like facing this really grim fate, and you know they have their squabbles and their fights but they're able to like endure like throughout the entire process of donations and caring for donors and and all of that and like that there is like some kind of hope to that because like how often do people stay friends for the for like the rest of their lives you know i mean and that's the thing like these are these are people who were born into like a pretty like shitty outlook right like they're if you think about it they're they're born with like they were born to die yeah right essentially and even they were able to find meaning in life in their lives with each other and that was because they were given the opportunity to that's why she spends the entire novel kind of recounting like this is why these are the reasons why, like every single moment she remembers has to do with Tommy or Ruth. And she's recounting all the reasons why Tommy and Ruth is important to her and why, how their story proves that she existed somehow. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's pretty ironic because like her, what was her name? Miss Lucy, the teacher mm. who like revealed the big twist. She says like, oh, you have to look towards the future in order to make your life meaningful but like for kathy she's always looking back like she's just like i don't want to look at the future like the future is shitty like i'm going to look at all the stuff that i've done in my life and that's that's how i'm going to find meaning instead of like working towards like the future or whatever (laughs) and it's like i want to go back to the concept of originals because like there's that there's like this whole arc with ruth like 
trying to find her original and like her and even before like her finding an original she's always like dreaming about like an alternate life where she has like this office and it's like like these big windows and like and and And, and that's juxtaposed with kathy looking intensely at the faces of porn artists or porn stars yeah right in magazines um and you know so i forgot the names of the two older kids but they they think they found ruth's original in, in norfolk yeah right so they go and like they try to like you know, they make a whole adventure of it. And it becomes one of, like, her more, like, cherished memories, right? Yeah. Um, but then in the end, you know, they, both her and Kathy kind of come to realization that, like, people like that, like, people with happy lives, they don't let themselves get cloned. Yeah. I mean, like, I... Th- it's it's not just Ruth who has this obsession with finding their original. I think every kid at Hailsham like mentioned it at some point. It's just like, oh, like I wonder who like I wonder where I come from. I wonder like all if all these traits that I have is something that was like inherited from my DNA or if it's something that I like like if these traits are just unique to me and my upbringing. And it really brings like that question of like nature versus nurture. And for like Kathy and Tommy, they're like, they don't really care about finding their originals because they're just like, what's the point? Like I'm me and I don't really need to know all that stuff. Well, I think that's Tommy because Tommy's always kind of like, he not, he's not dull, but he doesn't like, he's not a critical thinker. Yeah. That's true. Goes off the cuff. Um, but I mean, Kathy does spend a lot of time staring at porn magazines trying to look for her face because that's, that's where she believes yeah. she might come from. Yeah. Right. And it takes Tommy to tell her like, don't do that. Like you're better than that. You're setting yourself up for a disappointment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what did you think about? So never let me go, um, comes up during this, during the, Oh, right. During like, the story. Because, like, Kathy finds as, this tape. As a song. As a song, right? and yeah. I, I thought that was interesting. I thought, you know, like, I wonder if that was... Because it's a it's a made-up song from a made-up artist. Yeah. And I guess in the movie, they, like, made up a song for it. I, I guess so. I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, like, that, that was really interesting because it gets brought up later in the yeah. end. Because... Uh, Kathy remembers how she used to play that tape over and over again. And even though Never Let Me Go, the song was meant about, like, the song was actually about this woman who's, like, telling her man, like, oh, like, don't go. Yeah. But Kathy, she thought... She interprets it as... As, like, a woman who had... Like, a woman who had difficulty having a baby. And she finally has this baby. And she's, like, holding this baby in her arms and saying, like, oh, like, I never want to let my baby go and she's like dancing around dancing dancing to the song like pretending that she's holding a baby and when the song ends she looks towards the door and the madame is like crying while she like saw kathy dancing yeah and then later on gets brought up that um like kathy asks the madame like oh like do you remember seeing me dance to a song you were crying why were you crying? Um, what did you think about the madame's response? What was her response again? Uh, she, madame says, I was weeping for an altogether, altogether different reason. 
When I watched you dancing that day, I saw something else. I saw a new world coming rapidly, more scientific, efficient. Yes, more cures for old sicknesses. Very good, but a harsh, cruel world. And I saw a little girl, her eyes tightly closed, holding to her breast the old kind world, the old kind world, one that she knew in her heart could not remain, and she was holding it and pleading to never let, never let her go. So, like to the madame, it was like. Like next essential crisis. Yeah, like this clone knows that she's like her fate is like really grim, and it's only going to get worse because technology and science is going to advance. And yeah, um, and it's also like like it also says something about childhood. It's like as we grow up, like all of the fantasies that we have as a kid, all all the dreams that you have as a kid, they. Like they don't all come true, and yeah. like there's harsh realities. And as a kid, you don't know anything about those, and then as you grow older, you're you're forced to face them. So yeah, yeah. I wonder what did you think about the revelation of the ultimate purpose of Helsham? For me, as yeah. as someone who knew about it before reading the book, oh yeah. Well, even like when you saw it in the movie, when like, I saw it in the movie, uh. I, like, I can just say that I was so shocked, <laughs> which is which is really weird because in the movie they hint at it more. There's like more visual cues mm-hmm. that uh, that there is something wrong with all of the kids at that at that school. Um, I don't know. It was it was very like like I like to me it was just like it doesn't make sense this is set during the 60s like 70s and 80s like what the hell cloning um but not even that but hilsham's um role as like a passion project like a a something that in the long run didn't make a difference except for the lives of these few kids right yeah i thought that was that was immensely sad to me because the fact that Hilsham shut down eventually because people turned on the idea of raising or teaching clones. Yeah. Because, and I guess that kind of goes with um, the whole minority or like marginalized people thing is like once people realize, like once people in power realize that these, that the people, that the, the things that they considered below them could potentially be better than them they reacted violently and aggressively. Yeah. Right. I mean, essentially like when, like when I found out that Hailsham was indeed a special place and not all clones had that same privilege. Like, I, like I, I feel like it really like disturbed me because, (laughs) because like at the same time, like, like the Madame, like even though she was like, "Oh, this is my passion project, and I want to give you guys like decent lives." At the same time, she was kind of like revulsed by, uh, by the clones, right? Yeah. So it's it's like, oh, you, you have this passion project, but at the same time, you have like the superiority complex, and you're still disgusted by clones. You're still creeped out by them. So at the same time, I'm just like, oh, is your passion project even like, like I guess genuine? Like, is it? built on sincerity because it just feels like you're 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 claiming yourself to be an ally but at the same time you're not and the way that she reacted so going back to the quote you you had about her saying well you guys live good lives you guys were educated and cultured that's like that's to me right like someone saying like well you shouldn't complain because you've had a you had a good 
Yeah. Right. You. Why are you complaining? You had it so much better than the other people. Hailsham students are a wedge. <laughs> it's terrible. I don't know if you saw uh, the video or read the transcript, but um, I really liked Kazuo Ishiguro's acceptance speech. For... I watched some of it on live on online, and then I, I got sleepy. Um, I didn't watch it actually. I read the transcript mm. of his entire speech, and it it is very long because it's like an hour long video, and like he talks about his childhood, about like being like an immigrant in England, how like like how when he was like five years old, like his parents always thought that they would go back to Japan, mm-hmm. and how like how like he like how like one time when he did go visit japan he realized that the japan that existed in his mind and the japan that his parents grew up in it doesn't exist anymore and that reminded me of norfolk so much because it's like you're looking for something that you lost but at the same time it's like it's like never the same and um but he said something in a speech that really uh I guess, like, summarized his type of writing to me. And he said, Stories can entertain, sometimes teach, or argue a point. But for me, the essential thing is that they communicate feelings, that they appeal to what we share as human beings across our borders and divides. And, like, in an old interview with CNN, he said, I'm more interested in what people tell themselves happened rather than what actually happened. Yeah, And I'm just like, that is never let me go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a book that, like, despite its dystopian slash science fiction trappings never let that stop it from telling a story about friends and like living in the boarding school like if you take away all that it's still a story about three friends growing up and like reconciling with each other it like it really like shows that you can have like a really high concept uh like premise for your novel but if the characters aren't strong enough, if you don't have like, like if your characters don't have like motivations or reasoning behind the way, be, reasoning behind their actions, then your novel's going to be weak. Your story's going to be weak. Yeah, and these these characters are all like, like I said, the characters that you know, the characters that you believe. Like when you know, after the deferment thing, that what can probably be the climax of the story is Tommy going to that field and just like for the first time in probably like 10 years getting really, really angry yeah. and like punching the air and just like screaming. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a mirror of the first scene. Yeah. Right? When he's like at Helsham and like, yeah. he's like acting kind of crazy, just like yelling and screaming. And like, like he had all this rage inside of him yeah. and he like mentioned saying like, Oh, I think I always knew like what my fate was fate was going to be. And that's why, like I acted the way I did, or maybe it was Kathy who said that, but mm. but like, yeah, it it it, it was like really like gut wrenching seeing that scene in the movie and also reading it in the book. <laughs> I think the book did like like was a harder uh, harder hit in the gut, but uh, and like he was like he had that gallows humor where he was saying he's like a much better like being a donor was the best thing he's ever been. Like being he he, he was saying how like. He was better at being a donor than he was anything else in his life. Yeah. And that kind of took on a dark turn too because there's that one passage that explains what happens after that fourth donation where like you get put on life support and you're just there for them to like pick out organs until you, you complete, you die. Yeah. You know? um, 
like I thought that was really messed up too. Like yeah. the whole concept of oh, there are good donors and bad donors, and I'm like. Like, you're picking their organs out. Like, do you really have to, like, add that other, like, layer of of just, like, othering people? Yeah. It's like these these poor clones are, are getting, like, harvested, like, animals. And and it's just like, oh, like, this, this is a good cow. This is a bad cow. It, it's kind of like... What did you think about the fact that, like, the carers are also clones themselves? And... The fact that, like, when they're when they're a carer, they're actually given more freedom than than they ever did before. Yeah, um, I mean, it's weird because like Tommy and Tommy asked Kathy, like, "Why have you been a carer for so long? Like, don't you get exhausted from like your schedules and like constantly seeing people who?" <laughs> who are like pretty yeah. much mirrors of your fate? And well, once you become a donor, though, you're like stuck in the hospital for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know. But then, like, for, like, Tommy and Ruth, they volunteered to be donors, like, pretty quickly, per- pretty early on. Because yeah. for them, it was just like, what is the point? And uh, for Kathy, I-, I think she finds meaning in caring for people. And that's why she continues to be a carer. The concept of having clones take care of other clones is pretty fucked up. And <laughs> And I was just like, man, like... But, like, of course, like, regular humans wouldn't be subjected to taking care of clones because that would that would mean that the humans would have to be intimate with the clones and they get to know to. them. And it's like it's so it's it's so ugly how how, like, the humans in this novel, they know that what they're doing is morally wrong, but they still want they still want the benefits. So they're like, oh, like, I'm just going to look away and this is my way of coping. And. The thing is, like, that's what we do in real life. There's some ugly shit that uh, that happens in our world. And a lot of people are like, I'm I, I don't want to like I don't want that in my life. I don't want that burden. So I'm just not going to look at it. And I don't know. It's just really disturbing and sad. Yeah. This this book made me feel things that honestly I did not want to feel. But <laughs> yeah, it's a lot casual. Um, but at the same time, like it was. <sighs> It's, it was a really, really good book. I like. I did not expect it to capture me as it did, and that's a testament to just his writing too. Yeah, yeah. Interesting thing though, uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, like when he was growing up, he wanted to be a musician, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be a rock musician, and uh, he wrote songs and stuff like that. And he was like, well, like being a rock musician isn't really like a like a stable career well not a stable career he thought he was going to make it but he was just like well i have to do something else so he like applied to a writing program on a whim (laughs) uh and and he just and and that's how he became a writer and it's like it's just so funny to me that like like for like people say like music is what feelings sound like Mm -hmm. and i feel like that translates into his writing because a lot of his writing is about like, feelings and emotions, and it really like it really shines through. And I don't know, I really love this book. Yeah, um, I'm really glad that we ended 2017 with this book. <coughs> and also, I had fun because uh, I knew what was I, I knew the twist, and Marvin didn't, and <laughs> I was just waiting for waiting for that that like 
text from you being like, <laughs> "What the hell?" <laughs> yeah, and it's it's um it's very poetic of you to end the book, end the year with a book about having hope and optimism in the face of like a very bleak future. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a pretty short novel too. It's really short. Yeah, it's really short, but. It took me a while. Like it didn't. Like I didn't binge through it. Like I did. Also, I was traveling, so I, I read yeah, mostly on trains yeah. and stuff. But it was like it was definitely a good flow. Like it's also. It's, I have to say, it's like super British. <laughs> very British. It's super British, but at the same time, it's also like very Japanese. You know, because like there's there's this word. Uh, I I forgot what it was exactly, but there's a word in J- Japanese about like like gentle sadness or gentle like letting go like letting things uh-huh. go gently and i was like oh like that's pretty much this book because <laughs> every like kathy is very passive and she just kind of like gently lets things go and yeah. like kind of just walks into her fate and i was like oh yeah it's very japanese <laughs> <laughs> it's very japanese and british and like it makes sense because he's a japanese british author yeah i definitely want to read um like I, I had borrowed Remains of the Day and I had meant to read it, but mm. then Animal Pocket Camp, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp came out, and oh, I dedicated you can't blaming video games for your no, non no video games are a very important part of my life. So, um, um, I, I'm I probably going to read that at some point. I'm probably going to read The Buried Giant mm. uh, at another point. I think there's a book where uh, Kazuo Ishiguro actually sets. The, the story in Japan in like feudal Japan yeah I think they they um they promote that at the end of the the yeah. paperback half so I really really want to read that yeah and if you haven't already please go watch his Nobel Prize speech or read the speech because he does at the very end of the speech he talks about how important diversity is yeah. and how like it's important for um the publishing industry to to like let younger writers diverse voices really lead uh the future of of publishing and and this just came to me but isn't it interesting that he wrote a book about three british people who uh, I, I figure they're white probably yeah they're probably white um yeah. they're white in the in the movie but they're also marginalized people yeah um but yeah that's um i guess that'll do it for a discussion of never let me go by kazu ishiguro um, if you have thoughts about what we talked about or your own thoughts to um, share with the group, please go to our Books and Boba Goodreads forum um, to um, sound off. And don't forget the January book pick is Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Um, it's out on paperback right now, so there's no excuse not to get it. You can get it on paperback, Kindle, or a hardcover, however you like. Um, and speaking of January book pick, um, do you know what we're reading for February? February pick is Everyone's an Alien When You're an Alien Too by Jomni Sun. Oh, nice. Yeah, because February is a short month and like yeah, you we can probably go, we breeze go through with the, the picture books. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, graphic novels, graphic memoirs, graphic <laughs> graphic books. Yeah. I've heard um, so many good things about it too, and I really want to his Twitter read it. his Twitter is pretty pretty. It's pretty, pretty fire. Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, that's our book pick for February for, for those of you who want to get a head start on it. And that'll do it for this episode of books and boba and that'll do it for books and boba for the year of 2017 thank you all for joining us um whether you're a new listener or a longtime supporter um we really appreciate you spending your time with us talking about books 
and helping us highlight books by Asian and Asian American authors. Marvin, how do you feel since like we started this podcast and book club um, a, like over a year ago? But yeah, you've read a good handful of books. It's been a really, really um, interesting journey. Uh, as you may have noticed, I'm not very plugged into the literary Asian American world, but um, being a part of this book club and seeing like just be introduced to Asian publishing Twitter uh, has been really, really enlightening. And I appreciate Rita for bringing all these books into, into my, my universe. And like, I've actually read extra books for fun over the past year, which yeah. is something that I haven't done in a while. So. Uh, which really surprised me. <laughs> I mean, for me, like, um, I mean, you say like, oh, I'm, uh, like, like, thank you for bringing these books into my universe. But like, for me, like, I, I, I was an avid reader, but I honestly have to say that I did not read a lot of books by Asian American authors. I knew they existed. That's why when we started this podcast and I said that, like, we started it because... Like one person said, like, oh, like there aren't a lot of Asian American authors. I'm like, yes, there are, but I have not read their books. And this is a really good reason for me to read their books. Yeah. And, and there's so many of them. Like you can't even get through all of them. Like this year alone, there was like over 100, 100 books by Asian authors. So, yeah, I never want to hear a person tell me yeah. that there, aren't, there aren't enough Asian authors in the publishing industry. I mean, that, that is true to a certain extent. I would like to see more, but... Yeah, yeah, we exist. And, you know, for all of you who've been um, talking to us on Twitter, on our Goodreads forums, on Facebook, thank you so much for all your support. Um, we, we're looking to, you know, go bigger and better next year. Um, we're working on currently a revamped website where we're going to do hopefully some blog posts, some guest reviews, and um, expanding our coverage of Asian American literature. Um, hopefully we'll have more author, artists um hopefully we'll have more author interviews next year um start lining those up um but we definitely want to um keep doing this because it's been a lot of fun you're you're having fun right yeah yeah i i like forcing people to uh (laughs) get into the same hobby as me (laughs) and on that note um let's let's call it for 2017 all right Um, happy new year happy new year everybody and we'll see you next um see you in 2018 we'll see you in 2018 for books and boba hopefully things are better yeah regardless keep reading books and boba was hosted by marvin yue and we were you and produced and edited by marvin yue books and boba is a proud member of the potluck podcast collective a collective of podcasts featuring unique voices from the Asian American community. If you liked our show, you might also like They Call Us Bruce. They Call Us Bruce is a podcast where hosts Jeff Yang and Phil Yu present an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Check out their latest episode where they break down The Last Jedi from an Asian American perspective. You can find They Call Us Bruce and the other great programs of the Potluck Collective by going to the website www.podcastpotluck.com. 